Welcome to Twin Talk. I'm Joy, and I'm here with my sister Angie to discuss another of our favorite books, which is called I Capture the Castle. I Capture the Castle is a novel by British author Dodie Smith, written during World War II and first published in 1948. It was inspired by the author's longing for home when she and her husband were living abroad in California. The book centers on an eccentric family, the Mortmains, and their life in a rundown castle during the 1930s. It is narrated by Cassandra Mortmain, a teenager who tells her family's story through journal entries. I Capture the Castle explores themes of love, faith and religion, creativity, and what each person is willing to do to survive. I Capture the Castle is considered a classic of British literature. Okay, so first of all, hello listeners, and thank you for tuning in. It's kind of funny because if you have ever read I Capture the Castle, you are very aware of that famous first line that talks about her writing in her journal from the kitchen sink. And my sister and Angie and I, (laughs) we have a house full of people and dogs, and we need to find a private place, and we are in my sister Angie's walk-in closet. So I think that's kind of fitting that mm-hmm. Cassandra is writing from her journal, and we are doing our podcast from Angie's walk-in closet. So I think we'll be inspired. Hopefully we'll be inspired being in a different setting. Like she says in her book, sometimes being in a different place or writing from a different place brings new perspective. Maybe we'll have new perspective in your closet I hope so. (laughs) Okay, so many years ago, so this is the case where I did not read the book and then watch the movie. It's the case where I just ran across the movie one night. I was just flipping through the channels, if I remember correctly, several years ago. I ran across this movie and watched it, and like so many people around the world, I fell in love with the characters, I fell in love with the setting, I fell in love with the story. So my first question to Angie is, oh, and at the time, I didn't even realize there was a book, and I did not realize there was like a cult-like following of this book. So when is the first time that you became aware of this book, or movie? It was when you discovered it, and you called me, and you said, oh, there's this movie, and you've got to see it. And you just kept going on and on about it. And so I watched it. And, of course, I fell in love with it. And then, as far as the book, I don't remember reading the book. I know I've read it, but I don't remember when I read it. And I guess I might as well tell the story here. Yeah, this is where (laughs) I was going to ask you. So this is pretty cool. Honestly, I feel stupid because I didn't even know it came from a book. And then this is a cool story that Angie actually found a, the book and, and gave it to me. as a Was it a birthday present? I believe so. So um, I used to work in um, Fort Smith and not just a couple of miles from where I worked, there was an antique store. And so sometimes just to de-stress on my lunch hour, I would go to this antique store and just look around. And it was like one of my favorite things to do just to kind of just take a breather from work and one day I was walking through and there was one of the vendors in the antique store sold books and I swear there were probably a hundred books in that one booth and I just was glancing through them and this one book caught my eye well it was I Captured the Castle and I immediately was like oh my gosh and I I believe our birthday was coming up and I was so excited because I thought oh this is the perfect book and I think it cost like three dollars or something and then I got so excited the other day because I was looking online at all the different 
You know, I love book covers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do just, too. Um, we I, both love very vintage-looking book covers. Yes. Yeah, so you know, I'm I'm always looking for really cool book covers. So I was looking for the different book covers for I Capture the Castle, and to be honest, I was kind of disappointed. I thought there would be more than what there were. But anyway, I found the actual book that I had bought you, which is very cool, by the way. This is so cool because it's a first edition, and I oh. had and I had no idea. And someone had it for sale on eBay for like eighty eight dollars. Oh wow! Yeah. And how much did you pay for it? Like three dollars. Oh my goodness! So well, I just know that you gave it to me as a present. I believe mm-hmm. on one of our birthdays, and I love it. I've kept it ever since, and you can tell it's old. It has a gray cover, mm-hmm. and you can just tell it's really old. I don't even remember the copyright date on it, but it was an awesome present, and I'm glad you found it and gave it to me mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so instead of going through the book and hashing out every scene i just want to get your thought you know obviously the characters there's a wide cast of characters in this book and they're all interesting and they all have different things that makes us like them or not like them i'm just going to go through some of the key characters in the book and i just want to get your perspective of course we're going to start out with cassandra because she is, you know, she's the one who wrote it. It's from her perspective. What do you think about Cassandra? Oh, Cassandra. I love Cassandra. She is so, she's so human. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She's so, um, she has all these conflicting feelings. And she's she's young and naive in a way. But in a way, she's beyond her years. Um, That's true. That's what I think. All through the book, I'm like, she's acting more mature than a lot of the quote-unquote adults in the book mm-hmm. and of course like you I read I saw the movie before I read the book mm-hmm. so uh, the actress that played her I- Romola Gary Gary I'm sorry if I'm butchering her last yeah. name I don't know how to pronounce it Can, okay so <laughs> I just want to do a just a quick uh, shout out what what a terrific mm-hmm. actress she is she has this most uncanny ability to capture little um, mannerisms yes. and just some of the expressions on her face mm-hmm. are priceless. And I'll say the scenes between her and Stephen, you know, that, you know, he, of course, had a crush on her right. and it wasn't, you know, she didn't feel the same way about him. But some of those scenes were very cringeworthy and <laughs> she just pulled them off. Right. She is, she's hilarious. She's a great right. comic actress so you're already hitting on we were going to talk about the movie at the end of this podcast and 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 that's what i was going to talk about and that's exactly what i was going to say was Mm -hmm. they hit a home run casting Mm -hmm. her as cassandra Mm -hmm. and i know other fans of the book i don't know if they agree or not but in my opinion she was perfectly cast she pulled off that character so well Mm -hmm. and what i love about cassandra is obviously it's from her perspective it's her voice we hear throughout the book and like you said she's growing up she's just a teenager we're kind of seeing her grow up but she's so real so authentic because and I think this was just genius uh, from the author's perspective because when we're reading her journal well, people don't usually lie in their journals. We believe everything she says because, well, that's her private thoughts in her mm-hmm. journal. Well, everything must be true, and that must be how everything really is because it's in her journal. Mm-hmm. So it makes it believable, and it makes it – she's able to speak in a way that maybe she couldn't speak if it mm-hmm. weren't through a personal journal or diary, if I'm making sense. One of my favorite things that she says, the character Cassandra says in the book, is I think I'll write down my feeling – or I think I'll write these things down so I'll know what I'm feeling. Oh, yeah. I love Mm -hmm. how she says that because, you know, I love to write. And I've often 
I've heard people say that if you want to know how you're feeling, write it down. Yes. I think mm-hmm. that's why I like to write because sometimes it's really hard for me to sort my feelings out until I write them down on paper. When I get through, I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, that's what I'm feeling. That's true. <laughs> you can discover things through writing. Here's yeah. another cool thing that I love about her writing is she goes through a lot of heartache. I mean, she goes through a quite poverty. Uh, mm-hmm. Her first love doesn't reciprocate reciprocate his feelings but she's funny she brings Mm -hmm. the book is funny and Mm -hmm. I never realized it until the second I guess I've only read it twice I've read it and then I've listened to it twice now on audio on an audio book but it was like the second or third time that I read it or listened to it or whatever that I realized this book is funny Mm -hmm. but it's like even the most heartbreaking scenes I can't remember the exact quote but she says something to the effect of it's not worth good paper to write about it or wasting good paper right. to write about it. I just, I don't know. There's so many funny parts in the book that I just forgot yes. what a funny book it is. Do you agree that it's a funny yes. book? This this last time that I, that I listened to the audio book this last few days, there was so many little nuances throughout the book and, and just things I had not noticed before. A topaz. Yes. She's Holy funny. cow. Just, <laughs> cuckoo, and of cuckoo. course, yes. And of course <laughs> the narrator that, that narrated the yes. audio book, mm-hmm. she was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And she had ex- topaz. She had her voice and oh, her, yeah. down and it was absolutely hilarious. And I've talked to people who don't think audiobooks are really, it's not like reading, they say. But I'm telling you, sometimes the audiobook, if you'll just give it a chance and you get to hear these actors uh, act out these voices they, they do pretty good jobs okay yes. what do you think about James Mortmain the father just first in thoughts I don't like him I mean he I, he just I don't know I just want to he gets on my nerves I don't know <laughs> yeah. what it is I and maybe it is because in the book he truly was a genius mm-hmm. I really couldn't you know and they always say genius is kind of your borderline between being mad and being Mm -hmm. sane and maybe in his case it was almost like he did suffer from some type of mental illness or something you know I of course I'm asking Angie these questions off the cuff she hasn't had time to prepare really and I've had time to think about this but I Mm -hmm. think what why I don't like his character is because of our cultural differences okay so Mm -hmm. think about it here in the United States, if you have a dad who's letting his poverty, his mm-hmm. family go hungry, and they have no clothes, and they have no food, mm-hmm. and he's just up there in a tower reading detective novels, that's a loser dad in our culture. Yes. He's very yes. looked down upon. But then I got to thinking about the mm-hmm. English culture. I think mm-hmm. about Pride and Prejudice, and a gentleman didn't work. In that mm-hmm. society years ago, you know, if you worked, you were considered kind of, you were lower class. And I just wonder, even though this was set in the 1930s, he still was not providing for his family. Mm-hmm. And in our culture, that is a big no. You don't let your family suffer while you're up there reading detective novels. Mm-hmm. So that's why I don't like him. And I think it's a cultural thing. Yes, I actually, I had thought the exact same thing that you just said. Okay. I, I kept thinking he's a loser. He's not providing for his family. He should feel guilty about right. it. But then I started thinking about, especially the books and movies that I've seen in that time period set in England. And that's actually not unusual for people to sit around and like, oh, poor is me. We get this many pounds a year. And they, they, cause they depend so much on the system, on right. the, on the, on the system that's set in place for your class. There's so much, mm-hmm. it has so much to do with class. 
And I know to him, probably <clears throat> manual labor was way beneath him. Mm-hmm. And he was this great, you know, he's this great author and he's waiting for this next great book. But still, couldn't he find a job during the day and work and write at night? I just can't get past that not providing for his family. Yeah, it but, makes me angry. Well, but honestly, I mean, to just to kind of reiterate what I said a while ago, in that system, in that class, mm-hmm. really and truly, I don't know that there were... You just kind of were expected to do certain types of jobs or certain types of things. I don't know, and I don't know if there's that many... then there may, and it sounds like there really weren't that many work opportunities, opportunities available. That's the word I was looking for. I don't know yeah. that there, in, especially in that era. Right. I don't, you know, it's not like there is today. Yeah, you it's not like you could go, go out and get a job you don't at a go factory out to the employment company and say, "I need a part-time job to right. get me through a rough." dry patch and there you know? weren't it wasn't an employment i'm sure too maybe right. i'm being too hard on him yeah, i think you really have to look more at the era that they yeah, were yeah and the in. context mm-hmm. the time what was available so yeah maybe there mm-hmm. was nothing available to him okay i will backtrack and say <laughs> even though he wasn't providing for his family maybe there was no opportunity to provide mm-hmm. for his family so okay we're going to move on to rose what do you think about rose rose i mean she's beautiful you know you're you're you kind of envy her because of you know you know she's kind of these people that she probably could just bat her eyes and kind of get a lot of things just given to her right Uh, but she's also a strong person you know and there's a you know there's some places in the book where you kind of resent her because you're thinking you know she's marrying someone she doesn't Mm -hmm. love gold digger gold Mm -hmm. digger and then you know it's easy to hate her at times Mm -hmm. but then you see the passages that talk about where she says well, at least I could sleep tonight knowing that my family's right. getting a good meal. So I have to say that upon the first reading, I wasn't crazy about her. But mm-hmm. upon the second reading, I thought, you know, here you have, I think they said she's almost 21. She is stuck in this poverty and she has no prospects. I just almost can't blame her for trying mm-hmm. to get herself and her family out of poverty and she does do the noble thing at the end. She does do the right thing. She leaves Simon. Uh, she carried it on too long, but she does do the right thing in the end. Mm-hmm, I agree. Okay, Topaz, one of the most eccentric oh, characters. <laughs> at least nature never lets me down. <laughs> okay, so I have some little notes in front of me, and I put cuckoo, wackadoo, but loving, <laughs> but loving and thoughtful. So she's crazy. She's not crazy. She's just eccentric. She has an artist soul. But I think she it's is. glandular joy. Yes, I believe it's glandular. And I love the part <laughs> where they she uses a word that Cassandra says. Well, I'm glad to, that she doesn't know that's not really a word. Morosely, she uses oh, the right. word mor- or something to something that effect. That effect yeah. yeah. And like I said, I, she's it's funny. She's an interesting character. But when you look get past kind of all the. All of that. She is loving and thoughtful. And they do talk about how she cooked for the family and Mm -hmm. sewed. And she really was a huge supporter of her husband. Even when he wasn't working, she always wanted to be an inspiration. She always believed in him, no matter what. Oh, and she was mortified when she found out that he'd been in the tower. And you remember when they were leaving the tower? And she Mm -hmm. said, oh, Mortman, you can lean on me. You remember that? Yeah, when she uh, rescued him from his captivity. She was was such a... (laughs) dramatic character she mm-hmm. was everything was so drama yes but, it, but she, she added was, color to yes, the book she I, added a fun to character. me she was one of the funniest characters in the book she was um okay what what about we just have two more um oh no i left off one so neil cotton just 
Okay, Neil. Okay, the brother to son. Okay, yeah. yeah. The Rose don't ended ask up me with. why I had to think which one that was. Okay, yeah. I love Neil because he's American. Mm-hmm. You know, of course we're biased because we're American. Right. You know, and he's he's uh, he speaks his mind. He's matter of fact. Mm-hmm. He's probably doesn't have a lot of tact. Right. Well, he doesn't. Have he's a lot not of tact. polite like mm-hmm. the English are. Mm-hmm. I do too. I love Neil, and you're right. It's probably because we're American. But and I don't think this is in the book, but in the movie, one of my favorite lines in the movie is when they first come into the. It might be the second time they come to the castle, and he says, "Why is everyone wearing green?" Because well, they had been yeah. dying everything i thought that was funny yes that was so funny and i love it that he sees right through rose yes he calls rose out he can see right through her he Mm -hmm. sees her motives but he loves her anyway and he just calls her out and he doesn't put up with her stuff you know Mm -hmm. how about simon cotton it's that's a hard one you know he's the main character and it's almost in my mind i'm thinking okay he should be one of my favorite characters and i should like him Mm -hmm. because he's cassandra's love interest Mm -hmm. but he's not my type Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that make right, sense? Right. So, I mean, you shouldn't judge a character because they're not your type. Right. But I guess he's a dreamer. Mm-hmm. He reminds me of someone that's a dreamer, that's idealistic. Now, mm-hmm. I do like the fact that he liked England and that he was willing to stay there, mm-hmm. you know, a, a totally foreign country. I like that. Um, I'll tell you what. <sighs> So I had respect for him because he was so kind to the Mortmains. Yes. He was Mm -hmm. so kind, and he showered them with wealth. He showered them with, you know, Mm -hmm. gifts and things like that. But then I lost respect for him when he was so lovesick over Rose Mm -hmm. that he couldn't see through the deception. Or maybe he could see it, but he just didn't want to admit she was not in love with him. I feel like... He was, uh, I just almost lost respect for him because instead of just standing up and going, hey, this girl doesn't really like me. We mm-hmm. need to call this off. It don't, and then he goes chasing her after he finds the note. He goes chasing her mm-hmm. to that seaside town or whatever. I like Simon. You just, but you lose respect for him. Yes. And, all, and of course, we can all see that he and Cassandra are much more compatible than he and Rose are. But he can't see that. So you just put into words what I couldn't. That That was the reason I didn't like him. It's not just because... You know, he's to me, I like a man's man, you know right. what I mean? And he's mm-hmm. a little bit more soft, you know. Mm-hmm. And but what you said is exactly why I don't like him. I lost respect for him, and then and then I kind of lost some respect for Cassandra because she kept chasing him, knowing that he loved her sister oh. and that he was being played. So that kind of brings up to my next question was, what's up with all these love triangles? And do Mm -hmm. you think this statement is true? Knowing you can't have someone makes them more attractive. Yes, I believe that's true. I was that way in high school. Mm -hmm, Me too. I'm sure we both were. Like, we probably both had, well, we had guys that called and liked us or whatever. But, you know, I don't know about you, but I remember I always wanted the guy that I couldn't have. Yes. You know. And it's almost a safety thing. If you mm-hmm. know you can't have them, well, you can daydream or, I don't know, pursue them or... You know, after reading the book, I, th- I was thinking about this very thing about why do people always want the person they can't have? And I know there's got to be a psychology behind that. I mm-hmm. think it would be interesting to know why we have a desire to, for something that we can't Well, attain. and I even looked this up... Oh, Uh-oh. sorry. <laughs> I actually hit the microphone. I even looked this up on Google and there is a whole psychology behind it, why people want people they know they can't have or things they know they can't have and I don't even want to get into it here but it is supposedly true that things become more attractive when you can't have them Mm -hmm. but there were so many love triangles I mean Mm -hmm. Cassandra wanted Simon Simon wanted Rose Uh, Rose wanted Neil Rose wanted Neil 
Stephen wanted Cassandra. Cassandra. <laughs> I mean, like, there's so yes. many love triangles. Like, holy cow. Yes. Okay, well, it's time in our podcast for us to read our favorite passages. I'm going to let Angie go first. So I'm interested to know, because there are so many good quotes and so many good passages in the book, but I am interested to know, because I have no idea what she picked, and she's going to go ahead and read that now. Okay, so my one of my favorite parts of the book was the, the uh, passages that contains Stephen and Cassandra mm-hmm. and um, Stephen of course was in love with her right and of course she didn't return the favor and so it was so to me okay so there is a there's a place in the book where the dad realizes that Stephen is in love with Cassandra right and he says you need to be what was the word he used uh, um gentle or, or no, brisk or brisk, brisk. Yes. he says he says cassandra you need to be brisk with him meaning yes don't lead him on don't mm-hmm. say things that give him hope right. you know you need to be kind of curt with him and let him know i'm not interested right so this is a passage that he's told her to be brisk yes but she's kind of having these feelings for Stephen because yes. he's a very good looking person yes but she thinks he's daft you yes. know which means kind of stupid yeah just a little not too bright not too bright yeah Yeah. so i didn't mean to demean his character or anything but anyway so this is the passage and it is a little long but to me this is one of the funniest passages in the book okay so she's been told to be brisk brisk with him so here we go early this morning i met steven letting out the hens and told him rose would like him to stop saying miss i was splendidly brisk it's easy to be brisk in the early morning He just said, all right, without very much expression. Over breakfast, Rose and Topaz were planning to go to King's Crypt to buy the stuff for Rose's dress. They are there now. I have had most of the day to myself. I was at the fire making toast. Stephen came over to me. Please let me ask Miss Mortmain to get you something for the party, he said. I thanked him but said I didn't need a thing. You're sure? Then he added very softly and as if he were trying out some difficult word, Cassandra? We both blushed. I had thought that dropping the miss for Rose as well would make it quite ordinary, but it didn't. Goodness, this fire's hot, I said. <laughs> no, honestly, I can't think of anything I want. Then I'll just go on saving up for for what I was saving up for, he said, and then went off to work. It is now four o'clock. Father has gone to call on the vicar, so I have the castle to myself. Or vicar. Vicar, maybe. sorry. Okay. It's odd how different a house feels when one is alone in it. It makes it easier to think rather private thoughts. I shall think some. I didn't get very far with my thoughts. It is the still, yellow kind of afternoon when one is apt to get stuck in a dream if one sits very quiet. I have been staring blankly at the bright square of the kitchen window for a good ten minutes. I shall pull myself together and do some honest thinking. I have thought. And I have discovered the following things. 1. I do not reciprocate Stephen's feelings. 2. I wanted to go to that walk with him yesterday evening and have always loathed girls in books who are too innocent. I said it on record. I think I thought that if I did go, he would kiss me. 3. This morning by the hen house, I did not wish him to kiss me. 4. This morning I do not think i wish him to kiss me (laughs) i have thought some more i have been stuck on the unblank kind of dream i relive the minute when stephen looked at me across the table even to remember it made me feel dizzy i liked feeling dizzy then in my mind i went for the walk with him that i didn't go 
We went along the lane, over the Godsend Road, and into the little larch wood. There are no bluebells there yet, but I put them in. It was nearly dark in the wood, and suddenly cool, cold, there was a waiting feeling. I made up things for Stephen to say. I heard his voice saying them. It got darker and darker, until there was only the palest gleam of sky through the tops of the trees, and at last he kissed me. But I couldn't make that up at all. I just couldn't imagine how it would feel. And suddenly I wished I hadn't imagined any of it. I... I am finishing this in the bedroom because I heard Stephen washing at the garden pump and dashed upstairs. I have just looked down on him from the window, and I feel most guilty about taking him for that walk in my mind. Guilty and ashamed with a weak feeling around my ribs. I'm sorry, my ribs. (laughs) (laughs) I won't do that sort of imagining again, and I am now quite certain I don't want him to kiss me. He does look extremely handsome there by the the pump, but the daft look is back again. Oh, poor Stephen. I am a beast. It isn't really daft. Though he certainly couldn't have thought of all those things I made him say. Some of them were were rather good. I won't think about it anymore. My spare time pleasure thinking shall be about the party at Scotney, which is really much more interesting. Though perhaps more interesting for Rose than for me. I wonder what it would be like to be kissed by either of the Cottons. (laughs) No, I'm not going to imagine that. Really, I'm shocked at myself. And anyway, there isn't time. Rose and Topaz are due back. I should rather like to tear the last pages out of the book. Shall I? No. A journal ought not to cheat. And I feel sure no one but me can read my speed reading. But I shall hide the book. I always lock it up in my school attache case. And this time... I shall take the case out to Belmont Tower. I have a special place for hiding things there not even Rose knows of. I shall go through the front door to avoid meeting Stephen. I really don't know how I can look at him in the face after borrowing him as I have done. I will be brisk with him in the future. I swear I will. (laughs) Okay, so that is the perfect example of how the book is funny Mm -hmm. and that train of thought that you have when you're writing and how her mind is just all over the place. (laughs) No, I don't like them. Yeah, I do. Oh, what would it be like if I did that? It's funny. The whole passage was funny. She's convinced that she doesn't like him and she knows she doesn't like him, Mm -hmm. but she can't help but think, hmm, what would it be like to kiss him? Yeah. You know, and then she (laughs) she knows he's not very bright, so she gives him clever things to say in her Oh, that's one of my favorite lines in the book that you just read was, and I know that he couldn't have said those clever things I had him say or something Uh to that effect. I love that line. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, well, mine, I don't know why I just have this thing for beginnings and endings. I think um, books, usually some of the strongest writing are the beginning and the ending. So I I just think uh, from what I've read, from all the cult following and the research I've done, that uh, people love this opening of the book. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the opening. So I write this sitting, and I wish I could do this with an English accent, but I can't. I would do anything. Hmm. I write this sitting in the kitchen sink, that is, my feet are in it. The rest of me is on the draining board, which I have padded with our dog's blanket and the tea cozy. I can't say that I am really comfortable, and there is a depressing smell of carbolic soap, but this is the only part of the kitchen where there is any daylight left, and I have found that sitting in a place where you have never sat before can be inspiring. I wrote my very first poem while sitting on the hen house. Though even that isn't a very good poem, I have decided my poetry is so bad that I mustn't write any more of it. 
Okay, so I just think I'm almost through. I've got one more paragraph, but I think she does such a good of putting us there, getting mm-hmm. us the giving us the setting so we can start picturing in our mind where she is. Mm-hmm. Drips from the roof are plopping into the water, but butte but i don't know by the back door (laughs) the view through the windows above the sink is excessively drear beyond the dank garden in the courtyard are the ruined walls on the edge of the moat beyond the moat the boggy plowed fields stretch to the leaden sky i tell myself that all the rain we have had lately is good for nature and that at any moment spring will surge on us i try to see leaves on the trees and the courtyard filled with sunlight Unfortunately, the more my mind's eye sees green and gold, the more drained of all color does the twilight seem. So I just think that's an excellent mm-hmm. opening. Immediately we see how drab and drear and wet everything is, and it just kind of gives you that feeling that we immediately kind of see what her setting is like. And in England, it supposedly does rain a lot. A lot. It's, and it can be very dreary. Yes. Okay, I want to talk about the ending, and you know, you always know a book a book is good when you don't want the book to end, or you really want to know what happens next, and both things happen with me. I did not want the book to end, and I want to know, you know, are Rose and Simon, are they going to end up together? What do you think? Rose and Simon? Mm-hmm. Do you think Rose and Simon? You mean Cassandra I'm sorry, and Simon. Okay. not Rose, Cassandra. Mm-hmm. Do you think Cassandra, I even wrote down Rose. Yeah, do you think Cassandra and Simon will ever end up together? Whether <sighs> That's a hard question because, you know, he still kind of looks at her as a child. Mm-hmm. But I guess I could see it happening if they spend enough time together and once she grew a little older. Mm-hmm. Or I could even see her viewing him differently over time. Right. You know, I could see her She almost on. seems so mature that she mm-hmm. could see. And part of me, and like once again, I've had time to think this through and Angie hasn't, but I think that just always knowing how in love he is with Rose or how in love he was and that he may never fully recover, that right there alone may keep her from ever really wanting a serious relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the book, this is the ending. It says, only the margin left to write on now. I love you. I love you. I love you. In the movie, they changed the wording a little bit and she put... And she says, there is only one page left to write on. I will, fill it, I will fill it with words of only one syllable. I love, I have loved, I will love. So do you think the movie, whoever changed the script in the movie, did they make a mistake by changing the ending? Do you think it's better or worse, or do you think it even matters that they changed it? That's a good question. I mean, I actually like the ending, I love you, I love you, I love you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's it's more, to me, it's a little bit more heartbreaking. It's a little bit more poignant. Mm-hmm. Is, is that how you say that word? Poignant, poignant, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> There's, um, I mean, I like both endings, but... I don't know. I mean, that's tough, and I'm putting you on the spot. I, I've thought once again because I've thought this through. I thought that sounds more like a teenage girl. I love you. I love you. I love you. Like I love you forever. But then on the movie when they put, I love, I have loved, I will love, mm-hmm. it almost gives you more hope. Yes, I, I was just wondering. I was just thinking, why would they change that ending? And yeah, why would they change the I ending? I love, I have loved, I will love. Mm-hmm. 
to me that it's given us hope. She's got an optimistic look yes. on the future by saying, I will love. I feel like in the mm-hmm. book, we're almost like, oh, she's still so stuck on Simon. Mm-hmm. I love you. I love you. I love you. Like mm-hmm. this kind of heart sick kid. Yes. But in the movie, it almost makes her sound more mature. Yeah. Like, yes. I will love. Maybe not him. Maybe someone else. But like she sees hope for yes. love in her future. It's almost like they wanted to end it on a little bit higher note. Should yes. we let the listeners know that that's your dog, Tucker, yes. that's yapping in the background? I have a little Morky named Tucker, and I don't know what we're locked ourselves in this closet mm-hmm. and I don't know if he's barking to get in here or where. One reason was to get away from the dogs and now right. they're in there yeah. And we had them in her living room with the door shut. Two doors between us and I think someone must have opened the door or is that I them barking at the, door? at the door? So please excuse Tucker. He's just, we don't know why he's barking but he's going crazy. Okay, so in the movie um, there is a scene where they go to what's the name of the little city that's the closest to them? The little is it town. Godson, or Godson? is that just the name of the road? I can't. Oh, that's the road. I can't think of the name of the little I can't city either. But Neil, uh, Simon, and Cassandra uh, drive down. Uh, I think they're looking for Rose, and they find her with Neil. And they ask them if they want anything to drink, and they order drinks. Well, Rose orders a creme de menthe, and I don't even, and and I see every podcast we have a pattern. There's always words we don't know how to pronounce, but I guess we need to start researching that more. But anyway, so my question to you, Angie, is how many creme de menthe do you give I Capture the Castle? (laughs) Our dogs are going crazy. Oh, my Maybe there's a siren or something. I have no idea, but... (laughs) We're going to muzzle them on our next <laughs> Yes. We're going to put a muzzle on them yes. for our next podcast. Oh, my goodness. Um. <laughs> Very amateur broadcast, but that's okay. Uh, okay. I, I'm going to give them five. <laughs> I, I'm giving them five creme de mints because this is an awesome, fabulous, classic Come, have you noticed we keep doing these coming of age books? Yeah, and, and I never thought really about that, but you're right. Where the red fern grows was the coming outsiders. of age. Outsiders was coming of age, yes. and I capture the castles coming of age. I didn't even capture capture. Yes. I didn't not capture <laughs> that we were doing that. Yes. I didn't realize that. But definitely five cream demons, and I'll hold mm-hmm. that up next to my red hair, which. Yes. I'm lying. I don't have red hair. But yeah, we have brown hair, but we're going to hold the creme de it'll Maybe it'll highlight the green in our oh, eyes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I also, you can see we're pretty easy to please. We keep giving five, but I'm also going to give it five creme de mints. Honestly, we probably wouldn't be doing some of these books if we didn't think they were five star. I mean, we may do some in the future that aren't, but I'm going to give it five creme de mints, and I hope I'm saying that right. And if I'm not, forgive me, listeners. Um... But, okay, just real quick, we're going to start wrapping up here. But, you know, we always got to talk about the movie. You know, obviously the movies aren't usually as good as the book. But how do you feel? And we hit on this a while ago. As far as the casting and the movie, do you feel like the movie did the book justice or not? Yes, I do. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, the jury's still out on the character of Simon. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he wasn't a good actor, but I just, I don't know. I, I kind of wish they would have picked someone a little bit more charismatic for mm-hmm. him. And made I don't his know. Character I a little feel like they picked him perfect because to me, that's how Simon was in the book. He didn't seem, yeah. he was interesting in the viewpoint of he was really into literature and nature and all that. But, well, I don't know. Oh. I just kind of feel like that even though his character was a was kind of a little bit more subdued and boring, I, I felt like 
there was more to his character if someone could have maybe brought it out a little bit right. more in the book. I don't know. And it's hard to get all their characters mm-hmm. out in one movie. You yes. know, really bring out the full character. Yes. But we both are, are, have already agreed that Romola Gary, or however you say her last mm-hmm. name, that she was excellent as Cassandra. Mm-hmm. Rose Byrne. I think this is interesting that Rose Byrne played Rose Mortmain. What do you, how do you think she did? She was great. Yeah. yeah, she was great. She she really captured. And I didn't her realize this well. until I did a little research, but she's Australian. Oh, so that means she was okay. doing an English accent, even though she oh. has um, obviously an Australian accent. Uh, no, the casting was wonderful. And once yeah. again, it goes. You know, I'm just going to mention Simon one more time, but it goes back to sometimes because I personally. I'm not fond of a character. I think I'm more critical of right, the actor of the in the actor movie. having to play when, that character. And it's like you said, really, they're probably just portraying the character very well, and it's just I don't like mm-hmm. the character. Well, so. I think it was a phenomenal cast. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mark Blucas as Neil Cotton, which I just, I think he's cute. I think he's very handsome. And I didn't mm-hmm. know this, that he played basketball for Wake Forest. Oh, he did? And he's only like a year younger than we are, apparently. Oh. A year or two. Ooh. Yeah, and he played college basketball for Wake Forest. So it's possible that we saw him play That basketball. we've seen him play basketball. Yeah. And then Bill Nye, um, I'm not, once again, I, I'm sorry uh, if you're listening and we need to do a better job of searching, researching pronunciation, but he did a phenomenal job as the dad. I mean, he came mm-hmm. off as super eccentric and yes. edge of crazy and Tara Fitzgerald oh my goodness what do you think about her she played Topaz oh wonderful <laughs> okay and I saved oh my goodness so Stephen Colley even though the book has him as daft and you know he would always give her poetry that he hadn't written as far <laughs> as his intellectual capabilities he's not portrayed very well <laughs> but man when they cast henry cavill yes they because they always talk about how handsome he is in the book well henry cavill you know if you're female you're you, do you know the actor who played him that's superman henry cavill is oh. superman and he played stephen Colley in the movie and he's oh. very well known for his good looks Yes, he was very chiseled. They wanted someone to look like a Greek god because they kept saying that his features were very classic looking. And so, yes. So if nothing else, even if someone's not into like a period piece or into English drama or whatever, they would probably watch the movie just so they could stare at Henry Cavill because he is... Muy, muy guapo. And, he, yeah, he was a great actor because I know he's not like that in real life, right. but he was able to portray that kind of that, what they kept saying, that kind yes. of... Yes. He pulled off lovesick, yeah. not yes. too bright, <laughs> loving, or whatever, yes. guy very well. He, he, would, he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're at the end of the podcast now, and I love trivia, so anytime I'm guiding the conversation, I'm going to probably throw in some trivia, and I've always wanted to, to be able to talk with a British accent, but I don't think it's ever going to happen, but they just sound so polite and sophisticated, and Angie has always had a thing about England. We've both always wanted to travel there so if any brits are listening we may be coming your way who knows that's one of our dream trips is to go visit like england scotland i'm glad you mentioned that because if not many people know this about me but yes i do have this crazy fascination with anything england Mm -hmm. anything anything great british Mm -hmm. i don't know what it is but i'm just uh, i even went through a period was i I was kind of just obsessed with their culture Mm -hmm. i would watch movies tv programs of course my one thing on my bucket list is to actually visit england of course wales which we Mm -hmm. we know that a lot of our 
I think we did the whole ancestry. Mm-hmm. A lot of um, our ancestors we have found come from I think Wales. 64% of our ancestors come from the area or the country of, England, of Wales. Wales and oh, and I guess I mm-hmm. should mention this. Um, when I was trying to think of a name for my daughter, a girl I worked with said the name Cambry. Well, so I'm real big on, well, what does it mean? So mm-hmm. I looked up the word Cambry, and it's a variant of the word Cambria. The word Cambria is Latin for Wells. That's so, so cool. So I thought, that that was perfect. It was meant so to be. It was meant to be. My daughter's named Cambry. It's the Latin name for Wells, which is where our ancestors come from. Mm-hmm. Someday, I hope to go there. And I know we're, this has been kind of a long, you know, we're hitting 40 Almost minutes. 40 minutes. It's okay. It's, it's okay. I just want to mention <laughs> one more thing. Um, so we're talking about, oh, so because I have this fascination with <clears throat> Great Britain and Wales and wanting to visit there, I joined a pen pal site recently. Mm-hmm. And I specifically put, I want pen pals from Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't received anything except from letters from prisoners. So... <laughs> Not downing that. I mean, I'm not saying that could be a good cause, but I'm still looking for that pen pal uh, from Great Britain. So, especially from England or Wales, especially from England or Wales. So, so if there's any moms out there (laughs) who would like to, who need uh, a mate, who need a mate, was that? Oh, oh, wait, that's part of my trivia. Hold on, that's part of my trivia that's coming up. What's a bloke? Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. So, yeah, if there's anybody out there who wants just a down-home country American woman to write to, give me a shout. Okay, so how well do you know your British slang? I have seven slang words, and we're going to see how well you know them. Okay, what does it mean if you're chuffed? Mm, I don't know. I don't know that Okay, I'm going to give you a hint. Oh, I was so chuffed about my birthday present. Oh. I, I can't tell if that's good or bad. I, I can't <laughs> no. If I'm chuffed, excited? Yes, it means oh. pleased or happy about something. Oh. oh, okay. I'm chuffed that I got that one right. Yes. Okay. Very good. <laughs> what does it mean if you're knackered? Okay, that means you're extremely tired. Perfect. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, what is a mate? That's just a friend, right? Yes, that's okay. a friend. Mm-hmm. What's a trolley? Is that not just a, a bus that you ride? <laughs> okay. In our culture, a trolley is like a form of transportation. Yeah. According to this website I found on British slang, it's a shopping cart. Oh. Pass me the trolley. Por- oh, please. Okay. Almost a portable. A trolley. Okay. Oh, what? That's interesting. What's a jumper? A jumper? <laughs> I'm not even going to guess. I have no idea. It's a sweater. Really? Yes. And many, many years ago, I was selling sweaters on eBay. Uh And I got a, and I was shipping them overseas and I got a note from this lady in England said, I have not received my jumper yet. Do you know what the holdup? And I was like, your jumper? What are you talking about? And then I had to look it up and realized it was sweater. Is that when you landed all those cashmere sweaters? Yes. Okay. We won't go into that. (laughs) That's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) What's it mean by ledge? Like, oh, you're such a ledge. Gosh, Joy, I was looking up the slang today because I figured you're going to do this. Oh, none of these you're words were, Yeah, none of these words were even on them. Okay, list. it's short for legend. Like, wow, oh. did you see that goal he just kicked in the soccer game? He's such a legend. But oh. they'll say ledge for short. Okay. Or even to, like, family members. Like, oh, you bought me that car. You're such a ledge, Mom. That was not on my list. Okay, go ahead. Okay, last yes, word. Cheating. Oh, cheater. Oh, she's got her British slang out now. I see it. <laughs> okay, what's cheerio? Cheerio. Oh, that just means so long. Yeah, so Goodbye. long. Goodbye. 
Okay, do you have anything um, to say before I kind of say my last bit here? Yeah, quit being so cheeky. <laughs> oh, that was going to be one of my words, but I didn't ask you that. Any road, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Oh, we're going to practice our accent for just a second. How well can God you... know that. <laughs> <laughs> our British accent. Wait, in case they couldn't understand what I said because we were laughing, I said, God knows I need a new one because right. I get made fun of for my accent yes, all the time. Yes, we get so made please. of our southern accents. And we can't help the way we talk. I mean, I guess we could take pronunciation lessons from someone. But, okay, so I looked up how to speak with a British accent. Thank goodness. Okay. And it's pretty tough, but one of the sentences they suggested (laughs) saying was... I don't know if I'm going to pull this off. Maybe I should read it. Okay. Hot coffee is not to be tolerated. Hot coffee is not to be tolerated. Hot coffee is not to be tolerated. Not bad. Hmm. Not bad. Okay, so to anyone who has stayed with us this far, I have a special... <laughs> which, which I have a feeling all there's three, no one there. All three, all three of you. <laughs> okay, so I have this special sentence for our listeners. Bless you, mate. We're chuffed that you listen to this podcast, and you're a real ledge. But we're getting a little knackered. And we hope you'll join in with us on our next podcast. Cheerio! This is Joy and Angie signing off, and we'll see you next time on Twin Twin Talk. Talk.